Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as soon as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you ever need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in your Jane subscription. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app switch. And if you decide to make the switch, don't forget to use the code HEAL1MO, that's HEAL1MO, at sign up to receive a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome to another episode of Massage Therapy Without Borders. I'm one of your hosts, Cal Cates, and I have with me today, of course, Kathy Ryan, and our superstar queen of the Canadian Massage Therapy Universe special guest, Pam Fitch. Um, we're gonna, uh, we're, we've added a, a couple new features uh, based on some feedback that we got from you all. So before we jump into the meat, uh, a little piece that I've decided that we should add at the beginning of every episode is a really bad massage pun. And so um, strap in because uh, whew, this is a good one. Why did the penny ask his massage therapist for lighter pressure? I don't know. No, nothing? No. He was a little tender. Barumchi. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. You are welcome. Uh, so without further ado, um, I have introduced Pam Fitch to you all as the, uh, queen of the Canadian massage therapy universe and possibly the massage therapy universe at large. Um, she, uh, she, we're going to let her tell you, uh, why we think that's true about her and, and what it is about her own experience in her, uh, storied massage therapy education career, uh, that, made us want to invite her to, to share with us today about uh, the question of essential versus non-essential. Welcome, Pam. Thanks, Kel. Wow. <laughs> I think queens all over the universe would be a little alarmed by this introduction. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what brings me to the table? I think it's because I've been in practice for so long. Uh, I uh, have been a massage therapist for more than 30 years and my work has brought me to um, the, the tables of people with complex conditions, uh, uh, people who live with the effects of trauma, and uh, primarily women's health, although I've treated lots and lots of people across the spectrum. Um, I'm also an educator. I, I work in a massage therapy program in Ontario, in Canada and uh, wrote a textbook on professional practice issues. So those, uh, that combination of um, experience and perspective, I think that's why you invited me. <laughs> yes, and you have a divine singing voice. Oh, well, <laughs> mm, indeed. <laughs> um, so, so Pam, you're from Ontario and, and Kathy's from BC. Um, 
I don't, I don't know a lot about Canadian massage, but I understand that Ontario and BC are sort of always sort of climbing on top of each other to be the best. Would that be a, a vaguely accurate assessment? Well, as an Ontario uh, massage therapist who encounters BC massage therapists all the time, I am appreciated outside of my own province, and probably Kathy has the same experience. You're never an expert at home, right? Um, uh, So BC does some really, really interesting and uh, leading-edge decision-making that I really appreciate. And Ontario has the uh, reputation of being the longest uh, regulated healthcare profession in Ontario. So uh, we wear that well, and we've had 100 years of regulation. So with regulation comes perspective, and sometimes uh, we could learn from BC. How is that? And I'm going to jump in on that uh, as well, because... (laughs) I, I actually trained in Ontario and practiced in Ontario for almost 20 years before I came to BC. So, you know, that's an interesting perspective for me, having trained and uh, practiced in Ontario, and then I come to BC. And, you know, we, Cal and I talked a little bit about some of the similarities in our scope of practice and some of the differences in our scope of practice. And as Pam mentioned, and, and also I mentioned in our first episode, I feel very fortunate that we have ex- exceptional leadership at our college. Um, and especially, you know, good leadership is always a good thing, but in a time of crisis, good leadership is absolutely crucial. So uh, in our conversation that we had in the first episode, you know, I, there's a relief for me in knowing that I've got really good leadership in place that I can go for really solid guidance through this uh, situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. And for those of you who uh, haven't had a chance to listen to the first episode, when the Canadians refer to the college, they're not talking about their school. They're talking about the regulatory body um, that uh, governs massage therapy in this case. So we've gathered you all here today uh, to talk through the, uh, this very interesting question that has come up in the face of COVID about who's essential and who is non-essential, um, or at least that's the way I feel like the question is being interpreted. Uh, and I'd, I'd like for us to sort of deconstruct this, this binary idea of um, what's come to be interpreted as value and sort of um, where are we going wrong in the way we understand this? And, um, you know, how are you guys seeing it play out in Canada and, and kind of what are we seeing here in the States? So I'll punt it to either of you guys if you have, uh, what, are your, what are your initial thoughts about this whole question of essential versus non-essential in terms of healthcare providers or even just of services in general? I, I think you should start, Kathy, because of the, the recent announcement by the, by the Ministry of Health. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for, for us, uh, initially there, there was information that came out that I think landed for some of us as a poke in the eye. Mm. (laughs) I immediately had that kind of knee jerk reaction, um, because either our profession wasn't mentioned at all in the grouping of this is what we are considered essential in healthcare. Um, or one of the knee-jerk reactions I had was um, our public health 
officer made a statement early on about you know services and talked about i think it was phrased as uh personal business or personal service businesses personal service businesses like hair salons and spas and massage parlors Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and there were some other things in that that you know, and I and I saw that, and then we got a message from uh, our registrar, CEO of our regulatory college, um, that said you know he, that he had called uh, Dr. Henry and asked for some clarification. Does that include registered massage therapists, the registrants that I oversee here, we oversee here at the college? Does that include them in that grouping? Because these are regulated healthcare professionals. And, and her response to him was, yes, that includes them too. So when we saw that, I mean, I know I was like, ah, you know, so I immediately typed out a letter to our registrar and said, you know, uh, excuse me, but in our legislation, it says that I am a regulated healthcare professional, like a physiotherapist, like an occupational therapist, like so many others, you know, the inference, you know, and nothing, to take nothing away from anybody else that's doing any kind of other work. And that's not to say that, um, hair salons are, are not important, very important. And as my hair keeps growing out, I'm feeling <laughs> how important that is. <laughs> and not to make light of that, but you know, everybody's con- contribution to society is important. And yeah. that's, that wasn't my issue. My issue was, look, wow, that just took us back a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. We've been fighting so hard for the recognition that we are here in BC and in Ontario and the other regulated provinces, it's right in our legislation that we are a professional healthcare provider. So there was an immediate knee-jerk that, and then there was further information that come. And then I sat with it and thought, okay. So for me, the interpretation of essential is what is essential to carry on our our day-to-day life as best we can in the middle of this crisis, like those folks who are bravely working in grocery stores, you know, to help us stay fed and healthy, Mm -hmm. um, as well as in the context of healthcare, what services are essential for the preservation of life? What services are essential for containing the spread? And, you know, Cal and I, we we talked about, you know, for, for us, our work is important but is touching someone, you know, worth risking a human life. So that was kind of my initial knee-jerk reaction around some of the early dialogue. And then subsequently, you know, another piece of information came out that I more clearly identified healthcare essential services, uh, physical, physical or physiotherapists are in there, occupational therapists are in there, a bunch of others are in there. We're not. So this time we didn't even get mentioned. So, yeah. so either we don't get mentioned or we're put in this other category that really isn't appropriate for us. I'm not saying it's a bad category. It's just not appropriate for us, given what our definition is here in BC. Pam? Yeah. Uh, I sense that the essential, non-essential, when it comes to physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and other the, the dividing line comes down along historic lines and particularly related to people who are working in hospitals or not. Uh, because I don't know about you folks in your jurisdiction, but where I am, uh, not even my doctor is seeing patients. Right. She is, she's seeing them on Zoom. So the question then becomes, is it possible for us to perform massage therapy on a platform like Zoom? Well, 
I can think of a few individual clients who would benefit from me talking them through some self-care. So I believe the answer to my question is, yes, we could do some of that work in this way, virtually. Um, My own uh, regulatory college came out with a statement, pretty straightforward. We are not considered uh, essential services and we should not be working, period. Well, so that means, well, and this um, jurisdictions across Canada look to the, my regulatory body, CMTO, for direction. <clears throat> so a lot of uh, jurisdictions in Canada are basically saying, well, the CMTO says that you're not essential, so therefore nobody can work. That's 23,000 massage therapists in Canada not working and for an extended period of time. Well, the reality is that other professions are doing exactly the same thing. We're all not working, and people that are independent contractors or self-employed are not working. So then my question is, what makes us so special that we think we should be working? That's turning the question on its head, right? Um, I looked at the uh, um, Center for Disease Control Guidelines for Healthcare Professionals, And I looked at the Ministry of Health here in Ontario and the Canadian Public Health Agency of Canada suggestions for how we might both become infected or how we might work safely. And I think it would be extremely difficult to perform massage therapy safely with this virus because I'm going to need personal protective equipment. There's a shortage in the world. Am I going to take that away from the hospitals? I probably should not do that. Yeah. Um, there's a shortage in masks. We, uh, we just got a shipment in Canada of a million masks. I suspect they'll go through those, you know, within weeks, if not months. Um, so all this to say, I don't think that the question is, uh, with respect to COVID-19 is whether or not we should be working. There's this other question about have we done a good job as a profession to articulate our role within the paradigm of healthcare, And that seems to be a larger question that we're getting at today. Um, from that perspective, I believe that we should be able to do distance or Zoom meetings with our clients and be able to practice from that perspective. We'll be right back. Do you want to change the world? So do we. Join HealWell this September in Arlington, Virginia, when we host the event to remember. There will be classes and conversations. There will be old friends and new ones. And yes, there will be dancing. Come to HealWell Homecoming and let's keep this ball rolling. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Kathy. Just a little piece of information. Uh, the whole telehealth concept uh, was a question that came up here in BC and a question that was put to our regulator. Currently, the way our legislation is written, we we cannot do that. It's it's not technically within our scope of practice to be able to do that currently. Mm -hmm. 
So um, if you look, I looked at the College of Physiotherapists here in, in BC, and they have a very uh, detailed framework under which providing telehealth is allowable within their scope of practice. So they have very specific guidelines about when this can be provided and how this can be provided. So uh, our college is looking into that. Um, so it may be something that we'll see shift in massage therapy in Canada, but there needs to be very particular guidelines. You know, I, I completely agree with the, we can't just throw open the doors and say, go for it. So just a little added information there that it's being, being looked at and it might be something that we'll see in the future, but I, I do agree that there needs to be some, some guidelines around that. Well, just as an example, this is my treatment room. This is my treatment table right behind me. You can see it on the screen. Um, it, it's not impossible that if somebody's got some acute low back pain, I can demonstrate some exercises for them. That's within our scope. The difference that uh, the, the screen would uh, provide is not really that different than if the person was in my treatment room and I was demonstrating. What I find quite fascinating is that 20 years ago, my regulatory college was talking about the potential for a pandemic prior to SARS, when SARS happened. And uh, we were told at the time that it's possible that we could be asked to go into the hospital and do screening or whatever because we aren't regulated health professionals and that's part of our skill. None of those questions have come up this time around. Nobody's asking. Even though there is a shortage of healthcare workers, and even though there are things that we could do, we were basically told you cannot work. Um, so I completely agree, Kathy, that perhaps we need to adjust our scopes of practice because horror of horrors, this global pandemic may happen again. We may be here. This may be a new reality that we need to consider from time to time in our working life. And I don't think it's just to simply shut people down and, and make it impossible for them to work. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, I was reading an article uh, the other day about, you know, that we've sort of been led to believe by a variety of, of media outlets that a vaccine is on the horizon. And that, <laughs> you know, we hope that's true, but there may not be. And so what does it look like if we are working in a world where we are always worried about COVID and, and how to prevent that? And I mean, I think, you know, part of, there's so many different things to unpack about this and you guys both touched on some, some really big pieces. And, you know, I feel like one of the things that, um, that we do, I mean, I'm not sure how you asked it, Pam, but something about like, what makes us think we're so special? Um, and, and I think that, um, that is an episode unto itself. But um, <laughs> I, th I think that, you know, I was thinking about when we were, when we decided this was going to be the topic for this episode, what, what is, what are our stories culturally, um, as Westerners even, about touch? And that, you know, when you, going back to even like the 30s and Harlow's Monkeys and, um, you know, Ashley Montague's touch, the significance of skin. And, you know, even if we didn't, study touch personally, you sort of, I think you grow up understanding that it's essential. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, you know, you look at the studies that show that like touch deprived infants can even die. 
and that this is so important. And I think that it really, when we were told as humans, don't touch each other until further notice, it pushed some primordial buttons for all of us that really caused a panic about separation and sort of, you know, our limbic brains sort of went like, oh no, this is, I don't want to live in this world. And because we touch for a living, I think we felt particularly persecuted by this. Um, But I think it's really important, you know, Kathy, you were saying there's so many um, people who are not working right now and who maybe don't touch for a living, but that, you know, we are all as human organisms really struggling with not touching each other. And we don't even notice how, how much a part of our daily life, even, you know, just basic, like a hand on a shoulder, you know, just touching someone that, you know, we, we've been having these six foot socials in our backyard with our neighbors. And, you know, I hug all my neighbors and it's really weird to just say, see ya and, and sort of walk away. There's like a, an emptiness in that. So I, I think that um, we have to just acknowledge that as humans, before we even think about any additional identity, yeah. we are all struggling with our cells need each other's cells. Yeah. <laughs> and what do we do with, with the reality that we're trying to stay healthy, but one of the things that we need to stay healthy, we're not allowed to have. Yeah. Um, and then to square that with the reality of, and Kathy, you didn't say exactly that this was your sort of turning point, but I think we all had that knee-jerk reaction, like, wait a minute, I'm essential. And then you start to look at the charts and you start to look at how contagious this is and how easy it is to spread and how people have, are asymptomatic. And that's, those are the people who are passing it on to people that you go, oh, yeah, yeah boy. Um, what I do is really important. But as you said in the last episode, it's not so important that someone should die for it. Yeah. And that it comes down to our oath of do no harm. And when you can't safely and seriously argue that the possible benefit outweighs the harm, which in this case could be death, mm-hmm. you have to stand down. And that that is part of being a healthcare provider. Yeah. You know, healthcare providers have to decide every day is my intervention going to have more benefit than harm? Yeah. And it's, you know, this happens to be a particular specific question that for us, me giving you a massage is not going to save your life. No, that's right. But it could end your life. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think particularly disorienting for us because, because we are touch professionals. Yeah. And our, our whole concept of identity includes that our touch is helpful. Right. So for us to have to twist our head around, my touch could be lethal, is yeah. just so, you know, beyond what I think any of us who do this for a living could ever even conceptualize. Yeah. You know, so it's such a disoriented, disorienting feeling. You know, I, you know, I keep joking with my family that our dog is going to be massaged bald by the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think you, for those of us who touch for a living and, and not only touch, but we spend an extended amount of time with people. That, too, is the critical jeopardizing piece for our, our patients, our clients, is the amount of time we spend in close contact with them. 
So for us to be, you know, I think, as you say, for any human being, this is difficult. I really feel for people who uh, live on their own. Mm -hmm. I have massage therapy colleagues who live on their own and have like zero contact with other humans right now. It's got to be that much more difficult for them. Yeah. You know, you know, I feel very fortunate because I have my partner and we have our dog. You know, we can sequester together, wave out the window at our neighbor as they pass by, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I really feel for my colleagues who, and, and, and anyone who's on their, on their own, because it's, wow, this is just, yeah, there's so much to unpack in this, so much. Definitely. Now, in Canada, so one of the things that, um, and every state, of course, did it differently here, and sometimes we're with personal services, sometimes we're with healthcare providers, sometimes, like you said, we're not mentioned at all. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting is that almost without fail, when they would list the essential healthcare providers, there would be things like uh, what you guys call physios, PTs. And there wasn't real specificity around that. And, and about a week into our quarantine here, uh, my partner has some uh, tendonitis in her elbow that she's been getting PT for. And the PT office called and said like, you know, you missed your appointment. And she's like, you're open? Wow. Like, you know, you're outpatient PT, certainly people are dealing with pain and probably not maximum function because they're, they need that PT to get back to normal. But the PTs I think that should be considered essential are the ones in inpatient rehabilitation situations and in hospitals. But I feel like we sort of, there's just such a lack of understanding, I think, about how the different settings work and how the different patient populations benefit or not from the various interventions. And I think that it's another one of those sort of uh, slights, I guess you would say, you know, for massage therapists that sort of all PTs are expected to continue to work, but massage therapists either aren't mentioned or are down here with the barbers and the manicurists. And, and the barber surgeons. Right, yeah, exactly. It goes back. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's the Sweeney Todd clause. Yeah. And the, the other thing that's happened in Canada, you may not have heard this message, and Kathy, I don't know if you've gotten it, but six chiropractors in Ontario have been claiming that if you get chiropractic adjustment, that that's going to boost your immune system and, and protect you from COVID-19. Yeah. I, I had not heard that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that does not help. Mm-mm. No. Right? And we have, I have a, a number of colleagues and people who've reached out to us here at Healwell saying, I'm a massage therapist who works in a chiropractic office and the chiropractor won't close. So if I don't go in, I'm basically going to get fired. And, and just the lack of understanding about like, like do no harm is a, it's a real thing. Yeah. And every person, I mean, I kind of, I want to say to people, so imagine you're at this amazing Cirque du Soleil show and every person you see actually has 14 to 20 people stacked up on their shoulders because that's how many people you're coming into contact with. Uh And that when you think about the germs and how long they live on surfaces and now they're saying two to three hours in the air even, you can't have people coming in and out and, and have any kind of sanitation procedure that's going to protect all the people coming in and out, including your staff. But there is this idea that, you know, I think chiropractors and um, osteopaths and there are a variety of people who are sort of not as mainstream, maybe, who are saying, nope, this is how you don't get COVID, you know, or I'm, a, I'm an aromatherapist and I have put together a tincture that will kill COVID. And 
it feels just really irresponsible. Yeah. I've also received um, email messages from people. There's one that was going around and it was uh, mentioned on CBC, um, uh, our national media, where, you know, if you drank hot water every 20 minutes or oh. you gargled with salt or you uh, hydrated really well, that this was a protection. And this, uh, the email said this was coming from, it was originating in South Africa, coming from somebody who worked with somebody in China. So it was pretty sketchy in terms of, you know, what the relationships were. But uh, looked at objectively, it, <laughs> yeah. not evidence-based right. at all. It was right. a rumor, right? Yeah. And, and it might even have some contextual logic to it. Certainly a lot of what massage therapy uh, uses as our synthesis of anatomy, physiology, and patho is to say, well, if this is true and that's true, this might be true. But those correlations uh, may be completely false. And, yeah. and uh, if they are and we're spreading them, then we're spreading rumor. And that's a problem. So I think our profession is not yet um, educated enough and disciplined enough to avoid those traps. Yeah. We have such a professional need to help people. Yeah. Uh, we, we want so much to make people better that sometimes what we want is what we believe is true. And yeah. that is a huge problem. So for this pandemic to come up and pull us all short it's like somebody pulled us up on the reins and we have to holy doodle we have to stop <laughs> right i'll ask you to watch your language pen um, yeah i i think that um you know i don't know if this is similar in canada i think you somewhat alluded to it there pam but um i would love for you guys to weigh in on this i think that we see very commonly in massage therapists in the states a sort of anti-mainstream medicine philosophy, um, sometimes really overt, sometimes just sort of an unconscious bias. But um, I think that we want so badly to believe, or some, some folks do, that, that um, this virus exists because of drugs and all the, you know, just sort of, well, we should, we should be able to address this. This is asking us to stop all of the mainstream healthcare system stuff. And so my contribution is going to be to touch people that touch is what's going to get us through this. And that, you know, I don't want to come in with a fire extinguisher and put out the, the sense of, yes. I mean, it, it feels, I feel very hamstrung that I can't touch people right now, mm -hmm. but the lack of scientific understanding, I think is a really big part of our struggle, certainly here in the States that our, our massage training is highly variable from state to state for one thing. Um, but is really, um, it's almost like, um, like folk medicine. You know, you, you, the people who teach in, in many of our massage schools are people who learned wrong science from the people who taught them. And now it's even wronger science. And that by the time, you know, after 10, 20 years of a massage school, you've got some version of a story that was never quite scientific to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're off to the races with completely inaccurate stuff and, and an inability to understand basic germ theory yeah. and how we fit into this picture. Well, I, I, uh, I believe that 
um, our federal government is, is responding uh, repeatedly by saying we're going to trust the science to, to get us through. And I think that that message is absolutely essential because in the absence of full knowledge and full awareness of how this virus is going to be harnessed and managed, because it's not going away now, it's here. Yeah. Um, we have to look at what science can tell us in terms of our own protection and the protection of our, our clients and, and colleagues. And when we go away from that and we think we know what's going on or we conjecture, then um, we, as a profession, we lose our credibility, but individually we put people at risk. So I feel really uh, quite calm when I'm talking to students and they're saying, oh, the people, the neighbors down the street, they don't want me to walk on the street. Well, we all need exercise, right? So it's okay to go out for a walk or go out for a run. It's, it's okay to do that. We need that for our mental well-being. Um, if you pass somebody on the street, our chief medical officer in Canada has said, if you pass somebody on the street, there's no likelihood of, of uh, transmission. If you stand and talk to that person close up, you're going to share droplets. Right, right. So a six-foot conversation in the dog park, where we're far apart, <laughs> right? I'm not too worried about. Really, we're yeah. being responsible. Yeah. Um, but where people are not getting the message is that they're still congregating in in a number of our communities, and if massage therapists don't get this message from the science and understand what the transmissions are, and they're looking at responsible websites for their information and they're sharing conjecture. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you know, for me, um, there's so much information that's coming out of fast and furious from all kinds of sources and, and certain very reputable sources that have refined information further as as we learn more about this thing yeah so there's all kinds of information but if we strip it right down to the absolutes we know for sure that if you get too close to somebody and Mm -hmm. you share a droplet or you touch where a droplet just landed or you know you you touch your face or whatever so there's things that we know are absolute that we should not be doing let's at least just do that yeah you know so whatever other information about gargling with whatever or (laughs) you know i mean i mean i i have a naturopath that who's been my naturopath for years one of the first things i did was to reach out to my naturopath and and did a uh you know a a telehealth (laughs) appointment with her and said what can i do you know to help support myself to just stay healthy as i possibly can and got recommendations various you know herbs and whatever from a naturopath. So I'll do whatever I can, but I'm still not going to get too close to people or touch them. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and that what you do will inform what other people do. I mean, I think this is the other piece is that massage therapists say, well, I'm still seeing a couple of clients, but they're saying that on Facebook where how many people are seeing, Oh, well, so-and-so is seeing a couple clients. I could see a couple clients. Um, And I think that one of the other issues to unpack in this, and I don't know again, if this is shared, Um, among Canadian therapists, but we have a a definite sort of um, 
low self-esteem issue, I'll say, um, in massage therapy. And I think that the savior fallacy is, is really hard at work here. And that, you know, we even had therapists who work with us in the hospital say, well, you know, I've got this person who's end of life and who says like that I am the only person, that I'm the only visit, I'm the only thing that makes it possible for them to sort of get through the week. And so, you know, can I keep seeing this person? And, and my heart breaks. I mean, I, I have a client that I've been seeing weekly who is, you know, in the advanced stages of cancer. I don't know if I will get to see her again, but I don't want to hasten her death with my germs. And, but we really do have this idea, so many of us, that these clients that I work with tell me on a regular basis that I'm the only thing that helps or that they've stopped taking XY medication since they've started getting massage from me. And so I'm abandoning them if I don't continue to see them. And, you know, that feels incorrect or, you know, incongruent for me. And so I'm going to just see this one person or these three people and that we really have to be willing to, to ask hard questions and wait for honest answers to come from inside us that, yeah, boy, this is, this is at least half about me and what I need to feel important and useful. And the delayed gratification that is required of us here to remain patient, <laughs> yes. patient you know, and just wait for this to play out. Yeah. It's the hardest thing in the world. It's right. like uh, starting a really, uh, a great series on Netflix and you and you and you want to binge through it so you get to the end right oh. 10 episodes and you watch them all in 24 hours so you can right. see the end of it because you can't possibly give yourself this pleasure one one week by one week um, is binging I, wrong are you telling me <laughs> <laughs> she didn't mean you Kathy you can do whatever you want <laughs> oh, I have been known to binge shows as well, but that, but that, that <laughs> delayed gratification that that we require to to wait for this to play out is yeah. incredibly stressful. Everybody uh, in their media briefings shows this big curve and flattening the curve being the the uh, issue that they want to make. Even Donald Trump was showing this this. Uh, big apex of a curve and flattening the curve and this is where we want to be and it's it's okay if only a hundred thousand people die right so so we're all waiting for us to reach the the apex of that curve and we don't know where we are in the curve that's alarming yes yeah but we need to calm ourselves down yeah yeah <laughs> and you know i mean one of the messages that i've conveyed to uh, a couple of my patients who were you know as i mentioned in the first episode post surgical in that critical sort of place of where the scar tissue work post surgically can be of the great you know really great advantage to them in their recovery process but one of the messages that i've been delivering to my patients is i care so much about you that i would never do anything to put you at risk yeah and that includes suspending my practice being at zero income, yeah. whatever, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily the conversation I had with them, but conveying right. the message to them, you are so important to me that I will not ever do anything to put you at risk or your loved ones. Yeah. Because if you've got a person coming in to see you, then they go home, they interact with children, mm -hmm. elders, we don't know, right? So it's not, you know, you're, Cal, you're talking about wanting to go into the hospital, having uh, colleagues wanting to go in the hospital to see one patient. When you walk into that hospital, everybody in that hospital is at risk. 
Yeah. And then everybody from there, and we've seen that this is how this virus has just exploded. Yeah. You know, where someone comes into a vulnerable environment and then boom, it, it, it takes its toll in such a, a drastic kind of way. So we have to think beyond ourselves. Yeah. And I'm not implying that this is easy because there are many of us without income right now. This is not an easy time financially. This is not an easy time emotionally. Right. You know, this is not an easy time, period. But again, I come back to, is it worth human life? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, that income issue is another thing that has really played out here for sure. Um, you know, we, we don't really have a safety net. I mean, you know, the government has, has put out this relief plan and the small business association is doing as much as it can do to support, you know, all of the different small businesses, obviously not just massage. And, um, you know, there is some help coming, but I think it's really typical and common for massage therapists in the States that, we don't have a surplus, you know, we really are living paycheck to paycheck. And um, that, you know, to just suddenly say, tomorrow, you are going to stop working for an indefinite amount of time. Um, I think it's another place where we have to get over ourselves. Um, and I, I don't want to sound harsh, but um, we are all doing it. You know, it's not just you, even though it feels like it's just you and that, you know, we really we're really bad at sacrifice, I think. Um, and, you know, we think sacrifice is only going to the store once a week. I mean, that feels, you know, like a hardship. And it, it makes me laugh because, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the king of sacrifice. You know, I feel like, oh, yeah, I wish I could do my privileged thing that I normally do, right? But we don't, we don't have a mentality in America of community, in the way that some of the other countries that have experienced this and have curbed it more quickly uh, have, you know, in South Korea, you, you have this idea that you're all one, even, even if it's because of the type of government regime and we, we don't have to get into the politics of it, but there is a different ethos in that population. And I think that it's a struggle. And I think it's one of the reasons that America is going to be hardest hit by this because we just don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And especially if it's for somebody I don't even know, you know, because that's really what we're doing. It's not like I'm giving a kidney to my sister. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to the store so that I'm maybe not infecting people I don't even know or care about. Um, I think that's a really hard thing for people to get behind that I'm going to jeopardize my livelihood for the possibility, even though science says the high likelihood that I'm going to prevent infections and possible deaths for people that I'm not personally invested in. Yeah. I want to go back to something that um, in the very beginning that you were talking about, Kathy, because I think the other question that we're certainly asking ourselves at Heal Well and that our colleagues that, you know, at Mayo and in California and Michigan and all over are saying like, okay, so given that we've just been deemed non-essential, which I think we have to not say that because Massage hasn't been deemed non-essential or unimportant. Exactly. Um, I'm just going to say that again. Massage therapy has not been deemed unimportant. It's in this category, the semantics of what is responsible during a global pandemic means that we would be causing avoidable harm. So right now we're taken out of the equation. But the question that we get is, well, how do we come out of this and advocate for massage as healthcare? And I think that, you know, 
when we start a program at a new hospital, nine times out of 10, they want our badges to say volunteer, even though we're actually coming into the hospital and being contracted and paid, they don't know how to credential us. So they often want to run us through the volunteer services office. And that's the first block for us. We say, okay, so I know this probably seems like a small deal to you, but I really want people to see my badge and know that I am a credentialed member of the care team in this hospital. And I think that this is really the question and, and the thing that is pushing some of our buttons, especially those of us who have spent our careers advocating for massage as healthcare, that what happens to us when in my state, for instance, I got put on the sideline with the hairdressers and the manicurists. How do I then come back and, and like you alluded to, Pam, say, I deserve a ration of PPE so that I can provide my intervention. Um, and hopefully the PPE crisis will level out and we'll get back to a place where we have enough of that. And that'll be a whole nother conversation we'll need to have about, you know, when and how we go back with PPE. But um, yeah, this, you know, what do we call ourselves? Can we still call ourselves healthcare providers when all the other healthcare providers got to go to work and we didn't? What do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think one of the things that I'm, you know, because we have some time now, uh, is to really reflect on. And I know Pam and I have had the I've had the great privilege of having access to Pam over many years, and picking her brain on really complex and important uh, topics within our profession. You know, and, yeah. and Pam and I often joke about, wow, if everybody would just listen to us, we'd solve all the problems of totally. the massage therapy world. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Within our own mind, right? Right. But, but I think this is an opportunity for us as the profession to take this pause. Yeah. And although it's been forced on us, but let's capitalize on this for lack of a better word. Yeah. Let's let's take this pause to really reflect on some of these issues within our profession that have been going, you know, we've been going round and round and round and round and round and just keep pushing on, pushing on, pushing on. Yeah. Okay, now we come to a screeching halt. Let's take this opportunity to really clearly identify what some critical issues are and maybe start to get our collective of subject matter experts because we've got a lot of really brilliant, amazing people definitely in, within this profession. And I'm not saying we should keep it exclusive to the profession because there are no other really brilliant people out there who value us and would love to be in on this conversation. Yeah. But let's let's get this. Let's make the list of here's an issue. Here's an issue. Here's an issue. issue here's an issue. Can we come up with some solutions? So in the future, should something like this happen again, yeah. and just in general for right. our, our world of massage therapy, can can we find solutions to some of these circle problems that we've just been going around and around and around on the merry-go-round with? Yeah. Part of the problem for, from my perspective is that in the face of this pandemic, we have no, we have no skill to manage this very strange time. It's mm -hmm. so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, we've never encountered this. Nobody's ever told me in my life that I couldn't work. Never. Right. right. Uh, if anything, it's been the opposite kind of message, right? Yeah. So uh, the screeching halt analogy is, is absolutely right. And as many people have said, this is not new to me, but many people in my circles have suggested that hopefully 
in screeching to a halt like this, we will understand how the virus connects to the environment. And there are changes in our whole world that we can make that we haven't even imagined. Yeah. What, what I'm trying to do personally is to take time each day to do some quiet and private reflection where I'm not obsessing about the news. Yeah. Uh, initially, the first week that this was going on, I was oh, looking at every news website on the planet. I was looking yeah. at the Center for D Disease Control and the, the Canadian Public Health the Agency of Canada. And, and I was listening to people talk. And, and, and finally, after you know, several sleepless nights, I decided I needed to put myself on a budget with respect to the news. So I would only look at the news in the morning yeah. and then put it aside because the capacity for me to change the circumstance right now, pretty pretty small yeah but for myself i think it's a really rich opportunity and this is where i hope that we go both as a profession and individually is we have this rich opportunity to do some considered reflection on where we want to be who we are and if we want our our regulators in canada and if we want our uh, association and governments in 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 the u.s to pay attention to massage therapy, what do we need in yeah. order to make that happen? Um, we do have voices that our leadership will listen to, but our messages need to be clear. And yeah. I don't see that clarity right now. It may be that we need to really, really, really slow down. I don't think people have slowed down yet. No, I think they're yeah. still in shock. Yep. And we need to literally get to a halt before yeah. things will turn around. And, yeah. and, and it's hard to tolerate this slowing down period, but that's what I sense. That's what I think we're in right now. Yeah. Well, I think maybe one of the best messages that we can give uh, the powers that be is that I hear what you're saying. Um, I am professional enough to understand what you're saying. Therefore, I am not going to fight you on this don't yeah. work thing. Right. Maybe that's one of the best messages that we can put out there. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about chiropractors working or, or PTs working uh, yeah. out in the community, not talking about institutional based, uh, you know, those working in hospitals, totally different set of circumstances. Yeah. But if they're not taking this seriously enough, does that affect their credibility? Right. As a healthcare professional. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps that's the best way that we can convey the message that I am a healthcare professional. Yeah. I see the jeopardy in this yes. and I am not going to put anybody at risk. Exactly. That is how I show my, my ethics and my professionalism and that I am a healthcare provider who puts the, the safety and well-being of the people I serve first. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Pam, I think you make a really good point about, um, you know, the, the frantic pace that we are all, you know, none of us are working, but we are not resting. We are not, you know, inside it's like, bzzz. and I think, um, you know, we, one of the things Healwell is doing in this time is we're um, hosting a weekly uh, contemplative care book group. And um, I was just writing up the questions yesterday as sort of the prompts for the group. And um, one of them was about, uh, there is a Zen teaching that says, um, all we have to do is allow ourselves and the world to change. And 
you know, I mean, your knee jerk is to just laugh like, oh, that's it. Piece of cake. Right. <laughs> but that is what's being asked of us right now. Change. And that's why we're all so frenetic and upset because we hate change. We're actually trying to hold on to what was three weeks ago. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you just got to blow it up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we have to, we really do have to heed the call that is under the buzz to just sit with, why is this so hard? What am I holding on tightly to? And how do I move into a place that I've been invited, perhaps a little stridently, to consider that the way it was going could have used some improvement, could have used some change. And, you know, we have to allow that change to happen. And we have to, we have to slow down enough to see what's possible um, rather than trying to preserve what was. Well, I have no doubt that we have a place in the universe once all of this shifts. Yes. And in fact, we may end up with a more interesting, more important place than we have had because people will have had to screech to a halt. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, coffee culture has been with us for 25 years uh-huh. easily and, 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 and experienced an exponential growth. Well, the whole purpose of having a coffee is to make it bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to go, right? Right. I think this whole experience is forcing us to do sort of like a coffee cleanse where we go off coffee (laughs) and we kind of calm down and just take some deep breaths and notice the birds. Hopefully people can hear the birds wherever they are, right? Uh, Just calm ourselves. And that is our job right now. So that's what I'm going to do. That's what I wish for you too. That's what I wish for anybody listening to this is that they just kind of do for ourselves what we teach our clients. Yeah. I'm pretty good at that with clients. I'm not so good at taking my own advice, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what's left? Is there uh, shall we, shall we wrap this for now today and uh, percolate some more? Any last thoughts? You know, I I think Pam's message right there is a perfect ending thought for all of us. We do such a great job of caring for others and helping others find some, some center or some, you know, moment of, you know, one of the things I do in my practice is, uh, you know, create a space so that people can listen to their own body. Mm-hmm. So they then can articulate information to me that I can't gather by palpation or observation. Yeah. So, you know, I think Pam's message about, you know, we, we need to, again, for lack of a better phrase, practice what we preach and take a okay. moment. And, and I'm not implying that that's easy. I, I understand that people are facing extreme financial difficulty and it's very difficult to calm oneself under such circumstances. Um, but I think in that calm you know, perhaps we will find, uh, you know, a way to navigate this uh, in the, you know, best possible way that we can. So for me, I think that's a a great ending message from Pam. Definitely. Thank you so much for being with us, Pam. It's really been a treat to to share, uh, to benefit from your wisdom and to just have you here with us today. It's my Um, pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And Kathy, of course, thank you, my co-host. 
And thank you all for joining us for Massage Therapy Without Borders. If you have questions, if you, have, if you feel like there are things we didn't address in this episode or things you want to hear us address in future episodes, please send us an email at info at healwell, H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to read some of your comments and questions on the air uh, in future episodes. So let us know what you need because that's why this podcast exists, to help us all stay sane and feel in community, even when it doesn't feel so community. (laughs) So thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L dot org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app and on Healwell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy interdisciplinary, you should check out Healwell's new show, The Rub, a podcast about massage therapy. You can click the link in the show notes or find The Rub wherever you listen to podcasts. See you there.